Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. According to the CDC, more than 34 million people have diabetes in the United States. That's more than 10% of the population in the United States. Dr. Chandler Howell is here to speak with us about his team's research, Disparities in Outpatient Management of Type 2 Diabetes, presented at ADCES 2021. Dr. Howell is a clinical pharmacist specialist in ambulatory care with Franciscan Health in Indianapolis, Indiana. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Howell. Can you please give us an overview of your study? What was the purpose and how did it come about? Sure. So part of every residency program is being able to do a research project. And I have a very wide aspect of interest. So I'm very passionate about type 2 diabetes as well as psychiatric care and helping to connect patients to resources and able to get medication. So this is a project that actually came about because my project mentor, Dr. Jasmine Gonzalvo, informed me of the Look Ahead study and a secondary analysis that had recently been done on that. And it looked directly at the prescribing of GLP-1 agonists, SGLC-2 inhibitors, and DPP-4 inhibitors, and how they were prescribed by statistically significant less incidence in patients of a black race and also patients that had a lower economic status. And since Eskenazi Health, where I did my residency training, was the underserved safety healthcare network system for the Indianapolis area, this was something that's really important to us is to make sure that patients of lower economic status and of any race or ethnicity that are coming to us, they're going to receive the same quality of care. So we wanted to look at our specific patient population. And since the study wasn't fully published online, that really was just a little bit of information you can get right now from the ADA's little snippet that they gave up on this presentation that was given at the American Diabetes Association conference last year. We wanted to look specifically at our patient population and see, was this still the same? Were we going to see the same evidence that what they found in their study, or were we going to see things that were different? We also wanted to look more in depthly to see really what maybe some of these causes were and to see whether or not a pharmacist could have an impact on this. So let's dive into your study a little bit. What are the guideline recommended first and second line treatment options for type 2 diabetes? Sure. So the American Diabetes Association right now really want every patient with type 2 diabetes, if they can tolerate metformin, to be on metformin. That's really the first line treatment agent for any patients that have diabetes. The second line agents were really are recommended based off of comorbidities. So based off of patients either being obese, having CKD, heart failure, any of these disease states are really going to point towards patients being on a GLP-1 agonist and SGLT-2 inhibitor next, which isn't going to, of course, be all patients, but considering how relevant obesity is in diabetes, it almost is almost all patients. So really, and they really, these are the only agents that also come with cardiovascular benefit and also benefits um, based off kidney disease as well. So there are a number of reasons that patients should be on these next. The guidelines really point toward these being our best agents to use after metformin. So the majority of patients with type 2 diabetes should really be on these particular agents, even if they're requiring insulin. These are going to help get their insulin requirements down. So these should really be the second line agents that the American Diabetes Association really points to that we should be using as practitioners next. Let's talk about some of the gaps in access. What gaps exist in regard to medication access for people with diabetes and low financial resources? 
Sure. There are a lot of gaps that exist. So GLP-1 agonists, SGLT-2 inhibitors, these are medications that are fairly new to the market. Um, they've been around for a while, but they're still only right now brand medications. There are no generics that are available. There are programs that are out there, but unfortunately, these don't always cover the gaps that patients have. Copay cards exist for most of these agents, but a copay card only covers up to a certain amount a year. And for some of these patients, their copayments from their insurance are so high that they're not going to be able to have these agents still for the entire year. So copay cards alone just aren't enough for the majority of patients. Patient savings programs also exist for most of these agents. But again, patients have to meet specific standards for to achieve these agents. You have to have a low enough income to qualify. So getting these agents prescribed to patients, even though we know these are the best agents, can be a really, really hard problem for practitioners. And sometimes it takes a really creative solution in order to get patients to have these medications. So there are a lot of gaps in them being able to get these expensive agents on the market. What is the pharmacist involvement in care of people with diabetes? Sure. So the pharmacist involvement for people with diabetes is really immensely involved in being extremely involved in the care for the patients based off of what we can now do with ambulatory care pharmacy. Ambulatory care pharmacy has really evolved to really patients with type 2 diabetes being able to be managed by an ambulatory care pharmacist. So once that diagnosis is made by a physician that the patient has type 2 diabetes being sent to a pharmacist that works in collaboration with those physicians to really manage the entire um, disease state after that diagnosis is made. Also, the pharmacist can have a really Really big impact on the care by, again, going back to what we just talked about with type 2 diabetes, that these are really expensive agents. So pharmacists are a little bit more unique with our training and schooling. And during residency, we really are trained on all the ways to help patients obtain access, which is very different from a lot of the practitioners that don't receive that same type of training on how to actually get access to patients. So it really puts us in a unique situation to now be able to prescribe under these collaborative practice agreements with physicians while also having that background knowledge of how to really obtain access for the patient. You mentioned in the beginning of this podcast why this was so important to you, but did any of these findings really surprise you? Yes, I would say that the some of the findings really did surprise me. I was not surprised to see, I was, well, I was very happy to, I should say, to see that actually we didn't have those disparities in care when looking at our particular organization based off of race, gender, and all the, all the aspects really we were looking at, including even serious mental illness. We did not see any differences in any of these particular patterns with the prescribing of GLP-1s or SGLT-2s. I was extremely surprised to see how different the prescribing rates of these agents were in general, though, between patients that were only being managed by a physician against patients that were being managed by both a pharmacist working in collaboration with a physician. Our rates were, for all races, just about under 20% for patients that were just being managed by a physician alone, compared to around 60% for all the groups that were being managed in relation to a prescriber and a pharmacist working collaboratively. And when I say the 60%, I'm talking about patients being prescribed either a GLP-1 or an SGLT. So many more patients had this on board when a pharmacist was involved. I thought that it would be higher in the pharmacist group based off of, uh, again, going back to our knowledge on how to obtain access and to get patients to be able to afford these agents, but I didn't think it would be by that drastic of an amount. So that was a very surprising thing that I saw during this research project. To sum it up, what are the overall take-home messages from your study? So really the take-home messages from my study were that right now, at least in some organizations, that it appears that this difference that was found when looking overall might not exist. But I think one of the most important things to keep in mind is that Eskenazi Health, they are a underserved safety healthcare network system. So they have more systems in place to really make sure that there are access for patients. We have a specialist team at Eskenazi that actually works to make sure that anyone who's having a financial gap, that you can send these patients to them and they will find a way to, if the providers or pharmacists are really struggling themselves to help them gain access. So there's a lot of things in place 
for patients. So I think that one of the take-home messages is this could be a very effective way to avoid these disparities in care. I also think that in general, just showing that a pharmacist involvement could also be something that in general could just help those disparities in care for any group because our rates should be high for these prescribing these agents. Again, going back to the American Diabetes Association guidelines, GLP-1s, SGLT-2s, we know the benefits for these, for the, these agents can have for patients and that they don't come with the weight gain and the hypoglycemia that we see with many of our other agents on the market. So the more people we can get on these medications, the better. And I think really a take-home message is that having a pharmacist involved in the team seems to have a really big impact on getting these agents on board for patients' regimens. What's next for research in this area? Sure. So I think what's next for research in this area is really finding why that difference again and why that disparity of difference in care happens within the races for the uh, that original study that this was based off of. We know that from looking at that study that that difference did exist, but my study, I wasn't able to really find why that difference existed. So I think being able to expand this more is, as this was just a single center study is going to be really important. Looking at different healthcare systems around the area of the U.S. is going to be important to see why when this huge national study was done, that they did see this difference. So I think that there still is that unanswered question that exists. And I think that doing more studies are going to be really important to find out why they found that when the original study. Is there anything else that you'd like to add at all? Anything that we missed? I think one thing that I would would like to add was just in considering this study was the fact that we did have a very unique patient population. This study was done and it was an underserved patient population. So what our patient population looks like at Eskenazi is going to be very different when looking at any other health system. So it was also the study, I think, or something to consider that other safety healthcare network systems could probably really utilize this data but it's kind of hard to use this external validity to other healthcare systems that could have very, very different patient populations. So I think that is one thing that's going to be really important to consider with this and why, again, really more studies are needed to really conduct on the same subject to make sure that these disparities in care don't exist in other healthcare systems. Another thing that I would like to add too is that this wasn't the only difference that was found. The only other difference that was found in terms of a statistical significant difference during this particular study, other than the pharmacist involvement, was actually seeing that there was a difference also in terms of of patients being prescribed these agents while they were insured. When running a logistical regression test during this particular study with all the data combined, both the physicians and also the pharmacists being involved with the physician care, what we saw was that the biggest impacting factor is when a pharmacist is involved in the care. But the second most impacting factor we found was insurance status. So making sure that our patients are insured or have that or have some connection uh, whether that be helping a patient that's uninsured sign up for Medicaid or helping them to get a commercial plan signed up for, we found that this was the second most impacting factor on whether or not someone actually had these agents, which wasn't too big a surprise, of course, considering how expensive these agents are. But again, going to show that just how important it is to make sure our patients are connected to insurance and have those resources available to them. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you.